1: ...to the Five Year Plan podcast. Hey, we're all
2: going on here, people. <laughs>
1: yes, we are. No, we're not. Um, it's pod 355. Um, and this is... I know. I know. They get one more every week. It is mad. <laughs> um, and this is the pod we're going to review Palace's 2-1 win... ...in the Roy Hodgson derby Ooh. at Craven Cottage over Fulham. To do that, I have, returning to the podcast... After a week away, and we missed him terribly. It's Kevin Day. How are you? Hello. Also on the podcast this week, it's Andy Street. How are you? I'm very well, Jodie. How are you? I'm <laughs> good. You look, uh, you look happy.
3: Yeah, I, I got both of my kids to bed in fairly short order, which has never happened. So yes, I'm full good. of the joys of autumn.
1: Well, wonderful. Sounds like your evening has been as organised as a Roy Hodgson performance. Uh, that didn't really work as a link. I'm um, also here. <laughs> uh, oh God! Um, this is what happens with the evening podcasts. Uh, also here, it's Jesse Boyce.
4: How are you? Good evening, JD, and everyone else. I'm good, actually. My preparation's not been Hodgson-esque. It's been a little more pardu, a bit more Maverick. <laughs> um, not not really prepared on the audio front, but I can hear you now. Um, Can you hear me, Clem Fandango?
1: Yes. I mean, to be honest, it's an improvement for being in the back of a taxi. And we made that work. So we will make this pod work. That was the most exciting
3: pod that we've ever done.
1: (laughs) It was good. (laughs) A lot of Jeopardy on that pod. A lot of Jeopardy. Um, Speaking of Jeopardy, uh, Kevin's audio. Is it fixed? Are you back with us? Yes, I am. Fantastic. There we go. Good. We're all here. Um, what What drama? What drama on the FYP podcast? Um, can I get a drum roll for a random shout out to a patron, please? Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. Uh, it's Ben Wooldridge. Hi, Ben. FYI, that was the drums at the start of uh, Pina These Colada. Oh, was it?
3: Yeah. Pina Colada. The, the, Sounds like the end of- by, uh, What's his name? Holmes.
2: No, it sounded more like the duftuffs at the end of mm. EastEnders when there's been a drama.
3: I'll be honest, I don't know a lot of drama in- intros, so they, they all sound pretty okay. similar. Yeah.
2: When there's been the drama like the Jeopardy in the back of the cab, <laughs> Apparently, what, what Jeopardy was there in the back of the cab? <laughs> well, we
4: thought I was being kidnapped, didn't we, for a little while. Mm, yeah, that was we funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's Jeopardy for you, it's mildly hilarious for the rest of us. It <laughs> was
1: Anyway, shout out to Ben Waldridge, one of our patrons, <laughs> legend. Uh, and you can join our patron and get all the rewards that entails, like the Purpose Match Podcast, patron only merchandise, and access to the patron only WhatsApp Club, which was very happy on Saturday after Palace's win at patron.com forward slash FYP Podcast. And lads, based on the last two games, um, I reckon you could probably put your mortgage on Palace throwing away a clean sheet in the last few minutes, uh, especially as I've got Tyrant Mitchell and a fantasy team. And speaking of mortgages, This week, we're delighted to be sponsored by Eternity Home Finance, a Croydon-based, palace-supporting, family-run mortgage and protection advisors. For a free consultation on anything to do with mortgages and property portfolios, email info at eternityhomefinance.com and quote FYP. Right, let's crack on with part one. We're going to talk about that win at Fulham. Kevin... (sighs) It was the Brighton game the week before on the podcast was a frustrating one, and a lot of people were frustrated with that performance. I think people were hoping for a reaction against Fulham, with the caveat being that it was only Fulham. But we saw that, and we saw many positives. The main one being a goal and the performance in general of Gyro Riederwald. How happy Mm. were you to see him get on the score sheet? Well,
2: as happy as I was to see any Palace player get on the score sheet, not quite as happy as John Curran of JCIS, who looked like he was going to explode through WhatsApp. He was so <laughs> happy at seeing a Palace midfield player get into, into into the box. I think frustrating is the wrong word about the Brighton game. It's, that's that's a wild underestimation of how <laughs> upset we were. We talked after the Manu game. If you remember that you can have thirty percent of the possession and be really attacking. And then after the Brighton game, it showed you can have 30% of the possession and be absolutely shocking. And I think Roy listened to the criticism of Palace fans after that. I generally do think that. I think we played a little bit more on the front foot, Uh, even though we only had 32% possession again. We had more shots on target than in any other game under Roy Hodgson. And I think what was really interesting during the week, there was an interview with Gyro. I think it was on Palace TV, but it was an interview with Jairo where he, he referred to the Brighton game and said, we forgot to play football and we can't do that again. So I suspect that the players may have got into Roy and said, look, we can't, we can't play like that. We've, we're, we're good football inside. We mm. need to play good football. And I thought we did play very good football. I thought Jairo was fantastic. I thought Nathaniel Klein, considering his first start in 17 months, gave us real balance because he got forward on the right-hand side the way that Mitchell got forward on the left-hand side. But gyro was the was the real plus, I think he looks like the sort of player that we suspected right from the start he he could be and and we saw really good link up play for both goals really good open you know good football open football, really good fun you know slightly the last minute was worse than it should have been, not that I was watching it I was boycotting it, but you know checking tweets was more scary than it should have been but that was as the only real downside, I thought it was a thoroughly professional performance based on 30 minutes of highlights.
1: It w- absolutely, it was. And, and, and you know, we've spoken about Gyro many times on this podcast and where he fits in and, and what his future is at Palace. And we've had many uh, tweets and questions about him. Ben Agboy Money, Hi, ben. Uh, apologies Ben again for getting your name wrong, I'm sure, says, um, Gyro, wow, discuss what a revelation. And to think he was almost let go. Where do you see uh, Jesse Gyro now in this midfield? Or, or where do you see this Palace midfield shaping up with Gyro? Is, is he a mainstay now for you in there? And obviously Luca played alongside him at the weekend and I, and I thought had one of his better games. We talk about the midfield a lot. Where do you see it now shaping up with Gyro in there?
4: Pod bingo, clacks on. We've said this before on the pod, but we always refer back to his Man City performance when he played defensive midfielder. That 0-0... When uh, yep. Milivojevic skied the penalty, that was the day when he came. He kind of had his best performance to date, and it still stands out as a great performance. I think you almost like forget that he is capable in midfield because he's had to fill in at left back last mm. last season. You almost, sort of that becomes a distant memory. So it's great to see him stepping up and just you know looking like he's worth his position there. Even is that the first time he's partnered Luca? Yeah. So possibly, yeah. So probably factored into that was the fact we were playing Fulham, and I felt that probably was slightly low, lower risk than other teams. Um, and then somebody was it on your pod last week? Was it Travis that talked about the Norwich goal, like his kind of Kabay-esque kind hmm. of uh, running on overlapping onto onto that assist that was MacArthur at Norwich, but obviously Zaha on Saturday. So. All encouraging signs, and there was a little, I saw in the highlights, just a reminder that he laid it into Mitchell on the overlap as well, got Mm. got a shot off. So all encouraging signs, really. Um, And his his passing stats are, are outrageous. I mean, it's not a lot to complain about there, is there?
1: No, absolutely not. Which obviously makes a big change on uh, this podcast. Um, Andy Ben's right, actually, with with the bit about we almost let him go. I think he nearly joined Swansea a year ago, eighteen months ago, possibly on was going to go on loan, but didn't. I think he maybe turned down the move. I can't remember the the exact details. But um, does it prove that you know we talk about Roy knows his teams and doesn't change his team very often? And I would argue, is Gyro even a sort of a Roy player? But he's. You know, really giving him a chance and, he, and, he, and, he's, and he's flourished. Does it prove that, you know, Roy can be a bit more adventurous with his lineup sometimes and give people opportunities? And, and players like Gyro can take them. I think that's it's quite encouraging, isn't
3: it? It is encouraging. I mean, much is made of the fact that he wasn't in the team for some time, is now in the team and is being good in the team, so therefore would have been good had he been brought into the team earlier. And that doesn't necessarily follow as a matter of logic or as uh, really a matter of how players develop. You know, players do develop in non-linear ways. Some, you know, end up being nearly sold like uh, Gareth Bale was nearly sold by Harry Redknapp when he was not doing particularly brilliantly as a left back for Spurs. Fast forward two and a half years and he was the most expensive player in the world as an attacking uh, left-sided forward, banging goals from all over the place. Players sometimes change positions and look like different players. Sometimes, they are given an opportunity too soon and don't do so well. Sometimes they wait a bit too long and um, are given an opportunity but do really well with it. And yeah, it, it is encouraging to see him come into the team. I, I think sometimes the Hodgson being rigid thing is overdone. He has done certain things at certain points like, for example, playing Zaha and Townsend as two fairly non-conventional False nines, fours, tens—God knows what they even were when they were hmm. playing in that sort of formation. So it's not the case that he will stick to exactly the same setup, exactly the same set of players. Um, one of the things that I think fans are sometimes frustrated about is the fact that risks aren't taken with snapping out of that shape when we do have the ball. And to see Jaira make the sort of run that he made for the goals just fantastic. Just really good. You, you, you watch it back, and just all of a sudden, just sees that pocket of space in behind the front of the fence, darts in, Wolf reads it. Um, and I think I would kind of say, well, long may that sort of adventurousness with the ball continue. So yeah, I've only got good things to say about Jerry Reed Reid. And, and clearly it's, as I said in the last pod, testament to his professionalism and focus that despite being out of the team for some time, he's knuckled down, clearly says himself that he's been learning the English game and now has. And is now acquitting himself as well as any player in, in the last couple of games.
2: I think Wilf looked like he was enjoying himself having a creative midfielder around to play with as well for the first time. Because and I think Andy's right, I think, you know, Roy Hodgson isn't or rather is capable of flexible thinking, but I think for the most part he only makes changes when necessity ensures that he does. And remember it's only four weeks ago that we were saying on this pod, well, the two max, that's got to be our centre center <laughs> yeah. midfield pairing for the rest of the season. How brilliant, the two max. And now we're all saying well, it's got to be Luca and Gyro. But I think whoever it is, you, you, you have to have a creative midfielder at that level. You're not going to score goals if you haven't got somebody who can pass the ball from midfield or join in with the attack like Gyro did. And it was a, a fantastic pass from Wilf. And Wilf was probably mystified by the fact that he had a, a, a midfielder running on from behind him to make the pass to for both goals, if you look how many men we got forward, we've got four in the box for the first goal and we've got six in their half for the second goal. And we hadn't really seen that except for the Man United game. So there was an element of liberation, I think. And, you yeah, know, partly I was worried about um, Fulham with with Loftus-Cheek coming in and it has been playing well for them. But, yeah, they have got a new back four. They they changed their back four like they did last time they came up. But you, you can still only play the team in front of you. Um, and I think Rory. Was able to be a bit more creative, but I thought, as I said before, I genuinely think Roy was stung by the criticism of Palace fans after the Brighton game, because that simply wasn't good enough, the Brighton game, and Saturday was, was more than good enough, I thought.
1: Celsi will love that you've used the Celsius in there that you can only play the team in front of you he'll be absolutely loving that um and it's absolutely true and I mean Jesse it was great to see Wilf back as well because Wilf took some you know some criticism after that Brighton game um as Kevin says the no look pass for the gyro goal was absolutely fantastic I also really liked the second goal where Andros played a lovely little reverse pass sort of into the space and and Mitchie Broken. in in a way similar run to the gyro one, sort of breaking into the box. Didn't even look up, just played it into the six yard box, and there is Wilf doing doing a sort of fox in the box striker's goal. Not the sort of goals we are used to see, seeing from Wilf, um, but it was just a really good all round performance from Zaha, and again a reaction to the to the Brighton game um, in a way. And, and I think a performance, Jesse, that we needed we needed we needed to see from Wilf. Yes, the caveat being it was only Fulham, but. Wilf needed to put in a display like that, didn't he?
4: Yeah, he made it easy for the match of the day highlight editors to uh, put to, get, <laughs> to turn him into the, the, the star of the, of the highlights. And, you know, they love picking up on his little back heel flick. And all, oh, yeah. he, was turn, he turned it on. I mean, it just seems to have dawned on Wilf that it's not down to having a superstar agent to get a big move. Um, he's tried that a couple of times and it's not worked for him. He actually has to, you can't blame the tools anymore. He has to put the effort in and prove that he's 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 bigger than us because it's been said how many years in a row he's the best player outside the top six. It's and that's I think that's starting to wear thin on people that doubted it in the first place anyway. So it is refreshing to see him taking a lot of ownership. He's wore the captain's armband for the first time this year. It's it's really great to see him sort of mature in, in new ways. He's still got those. That ten, he's, he missed that glancing header, and that, is, that to me is archetypal. Wilf, he will miss those chances. He really should bury someone like someone like Sterling wouldn't miss those anymore. You know, it's mm. like that's the difference between Wilf and Sterling is Sterling would bury that, but they seem to just fly off his head. But he makes up for it in his general contribution, and we all know his value to, uh, to us in ways that other people can't see. You know, just the pressure that he takes off the rest of the team, just. Gaining, gaining uh, yards up the pitch to take the pressure off of our defensive setup. So, yeah, it's, it's just good to see him sort of maturing in some ways and just sort of taking the game with the scruff of the neck, enjoying himself. And, um, yeah, he's easily going to get into double figures sooner rather than later, maybe by Christmas, the way he's going. So, yeah, long may it continue again from Wilf.
2: Roy's taking the credit for Wilf's performance on uh, Saturday because he said he responded to his criticism after the Brighton game. I, I didn't do the pod after the Brighton game, but I thought Hodgson's criticism of Zaha was bang out of order. I thought to publicly have a go at Wilf to say it's up to him to grab the game by the scruff of the neck when Wilf had just had to play in a, in a system for 90 minutes that was designed to hang on against a team that had conceded 10 goals in three games, I thought was was not right. That was one game where Roy should have been putting his hands up and saying... I got that wrong. We were tactically wrong. And I think to have a go at Wilf like that, and and then and now, yeah, I don't think it necessarily Wilf's performance was because of that. I think Wilf's performance was because we, we played further forward and he had an attacking midfield player to around him as well as full-backs getting up the pitch on both sides as well. So I, I I lost a bit
1: of respect for Roy Hodgson after that open criticism of Wilf, I have to say. Well, you did talk about that, didn't we, Andy, on the post-Brighton, not to go over sort of post-Brighton stuff, but it was... It was a case of Roy seems to get asked about Wilf, doesn't he, every single game. And it happened again after the Fulham game. In fact, actually, Roy, I think this is right, Roy didn't get asked any questions about Gyro after the game, which I think as Palace fans would have been number one question. You know, how do you feel about Gyro stepping in and scoring? But Andy, he does get asked about Wilf a lot. And that is why you will hear more quotes after games of him talking about Wilf and Wilf's game and Wilf's form. Because he just gets asked about Wilf more than any other player. And it happened again on Saturday.
3: Yeah, and frankly, I I think it puts him in a slightly invidious position because fans get quite frustrated when managers play such a straight bat as to not answer things put to them in uh, press conferences and don't give what are perceived to be frank and foot answers. But then if they are asked about very specific topics and they are a bit more frank about their views on that particular player or that particular situation or that particular game or whatever, um, you know, that they will sometimes answer. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I guess, in something of a minority, and I don't really care or pay much attention to press conferences because I think that they are quite often for an audience other than fans, quite often they're for the players to pay attention to or the rival coaches for the next game to pay attention to or to others within the game to pay attention to. The, 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 you know, fans, are, like all of us, aren't really necessarily always intended to be the recipient of the messages that are being put out there by the managers in those particular forums. So I I, I tend not to get too bothered about those things one way or the other. And I don't know. I I think Hodgson is uh, an intelligent and diplomatic enough man not to think through what he's saying. So to the extent that he makes a point of criticism or or defense of a player or gives an opinion, it will probably be for a very specific purpose.
1: Um, Invidious... Of an action or situation likely to arouse or incur resentment or anger in others. Okay, cool. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Now
2: use it in a sentence.
1: (laughs) Andy is an invidious (laughs) pod member. (laughs) Um, Does that work? I think it works. Um, Kevin, just a word then. We're talking about Wilf and also, I think, a word for Andros Townsend, who was excellent again at the weekend. We talked about him being involved in the second goal. Um, Has... Almost returned an attacking return in every game so far this season, and one of our listeners, Paul Deason, um, hi Paul, has said, "Are Andros and Wilf now in the form of their careers for Palace? Work rate and end product, and I think that's a really good way of, of summing up Andros. You know the work rate you're going to get from him; that's never been in question. We're now getting end product as well, and you could maybe argue that Wilf is benefiting from having an on-form Andros there as well. Because again, on Saturday he was he was excellent.
2: Yeah, I think somebody sent us a." a... A message, didn't they say that uh, Andros made the most tackles? I think of any player in that
3: yeah. in
2: that game, the most successful tackles. I think the the difficult thing for Andros is he's never going to get the same love mm. as Wilf because what Andros does is nowhere near as flamboyant as what Wilf does. It's not noticeable, but he's one of those players that when he's no longer in the team, people go, "Oh, we really miss what mm. what Andros did." But because you you know he does his job really really well. He, he defensively, he's really sound. Um. But he makes that sort of pass that led to the second goal three or four times a game. You know, He doesn't get as many crosses in as he would probably like, but we don't play the sort of system where we're crossing the ball in all the time anyway. So he's he's having a, another really good eight out of ten season. But as you said earlier, the, the, the attention will always be on the more flair player. You know, Wilf's more of a noticeably flair player than, than Andros is, so the attention will be on Wilf. And hopefully there'll be more attention on Gyro when he starts to be more... Creative, and we see him do that week in, week out. I mean, the other we need to get Bachwai more involved somehow. I mean, I, I suspect Bachwai would be more uh, happy playing with Ben Teke next to him, playing off the two. But he, yeah, but a bit, at least he, he helped with the goal, on, helped mm-hmm. with both goals, in fact. So, also, I think the big thing about Saturday was noticing the, the, the subs that came on. We're finally starting to get a pro. I know we've talked about this week yeah. in, week out. We're finally starting to get a proper squad. You know, yeah. Sacco, Eze and, and PVA came on. They're good substitutes. You know, they're, they're, they're players that can change a match defensively uh, and PVA getting forward as well. I think Klein is a, actually quite an inspired move. Whoever was responsible for getting him in, him in, he's only 29. He's an international quality full until he got that injury. So now we've got options on the right and left and the centre of defence. We've got options in midfield and we've got options up front. So I'm actually quite... <laughs> it's in the nature of the up and downness of being a Palace <laughs> fan. I was in the. T- I was so totally pissed off after the break. I could barely speak. And then on Saturday, I looked at the. St- I must have had about eighteen people send me screen grabs of the league table, <laughs> and I suddenly went, "Oh yeah, no, Roy is a genius. i forgot, <laughs> yeah, He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And last week he was as, as my next door neighbour said, that old codger in charge of us, which is great. But was my next door neighbour's ninety. Uh, <laughs> He thinks, he thinks Burthead's the best Palace man. He keeps referring to him as that old codger in charge of pants. Technically, he's but, a
1: young codger compared to him. That's what neighbour. I keep saying to him, yeah. <laughs> uh, you're right. You're totally right about the squad. I thought the exact same thing uh, when those um, players came on. Um, it just feels like there's a, there's a bit more balance there as well. Again, we should caveat it with the fact that it was Fulham. And Fulham are pretty terrible. But as you said earlier, Kevin, and to quote Adam Sells, you can only beat the team that's put in front of you. And Palace did their job. It was professional. It was functional. And it got the result. Uh, did, speak- we, did we all think that was a red card, by the way? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Um, I ther- when I first saw the highlights,
2: I thought that was uh, unlucky. But when I saw the extended highlights, I thought that was the most casual, brutal
1: attack I've ever seen in my life.
2: I think is it's it, one of those
1: it, ones that now, these days, it, is a, it probably is a red card. But- Regardless of intention, maybe. Is it dangerous? Know, dangerous play.
2: It does really dangerous, but it didn't look like it at first. It looked like a stroll in the park and he'd accidentally trod on
1: his heel, but he, <laughs> he went for him, but he just did it in a very casual manner. Yeah, he did. I think yeah. it probably was. I think it probably was a red. Yeah. Um What do you what do you think, guys, Andy? Hundred percent a red. <laughs> Good. Okay. Jesse?
4: Yeah, I think you, you got it right, Jim. They can't not give them now because they've set yeah. they've set the precedent. And so yeah, mm. and, uh, as Andros said today, the, sort of it's sort of the game slightly unrecognisable. Um, but yeah, that's become that's become a standard red, a filthy red. That was. <laughs> a filthy yeah, it's, red. it's
2: strange because no Palace player reacted at all. Not even Eze. He was fouled. Hmm. They all just they all just seem to fit, They seem mystified when the red when the ref. And as soon as the ref looks at it, you go, "Well, he's going to be sent off." Obviously, but yeah, and I'm obviously I'm delighted he was sent off. But you know, <laughs>
1: <just seemed laughs> well, um, speaking of setting a precedent, our precedent now is to uh, is that does that work? Is that oh whatever. No, um, it's not, not my best. It's not my best. Well, no. Let's it's see how you get out. Put
2: the, put the reversing signals on and let's see how you get out. <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I'm be not, no. by, the, by <laughs> part two <laughs> end. When
1: you go to part I'm going to plow on. It's a no, precedent because we've done it in previous pot. Anyway, we're taking a break, and after the break, <laughs> we're going to read out your questions. <laughs> back to the Five final podcast part two of pod three five five which means i don't know why i said that um it's time for your questions uh and of course this episode of the podcast is sponsored by eternity home finance for a free for a free consultation on anything to do with mortgages and property portfolios email info at eternityhomefinance.com and quote the code FYP. Uh right, Kevin. We've had lots of questions. This one comes from Crumply Addo. Hi, Crumply. Crumply Addo. And it says, quite simply, Kevin, are we all happy again now? Oh, sorry,
2: I was expecting that to say have we turned a corner? <laughs> 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 yes, oh, we yeah. are. We are. So we are. That's how simple. I mean, it's just Ali was just shaking her head at me because I was dancing around the room. like so that's as simple as it. That's all it takes, is it? One, two, one, win away at Fulham, and suddenly you're the best team. Yes, yes, no, That's all it takes. We are. <laughs> yes, until Friday evening, we are happy. The world is a better place. Sundays are just better, aren't they? When you've when you've won the day Absolutely. before, you can read the papers, you can watch the, all the highlights. It's brilliant. You can hope that other teams get battered. It's great
1: um and we have actually haven't had any questions from anyone asking have we turned the corner so i'm just going to ask you now kevin flat out have we turned the corner
2: 100
1: yes we've turned that corner <laughs> we
2: are on the home run to a european tour mate <laughs>
1: <laughs> excellent excellent um next question here is from kiron Ramduer. hi Kieran. Hi, Kieran ramdur I'll go to Andy for this one. Um, Andy says, um, "People seem to forget in the game that Lukman hit the post twice. Mitrovic missed by a whisker off Dan's boot. Our win against Southampton wasn't the best, and man, you were a weak inside when we won. Does our points tally currently flatter us a bit too much? That's and should spirit. we be more concerned going <laughs> forward? It's more of a Kevin question, this isn't it? But I'll I'll, um, I'll go to Andy. Would you reckon?"
3: Well, I'm contractually bound not to mention expected goals following the marathon march, so I'm not going to do so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I would say on the balance of play, Palace deserved to win on Saturday. They created the better chances, and even despite that particular facet, I mean, there they were just more opportunities that, that could have led to clear-cut chances that, that Palace had that Fulham didn't. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to watch that game back and notwithstanding the two hittings of the post to say that Palace didn't deserve to win that game of football. Um, similarly, you know, I, I, I struggled to see how anyone could maintain a credible argument that because Man United weren't particularly good in the game where Palace were, that that result could somehow in any way flatter Palace. Um, I think what you know you'll get with Palace, you do generally get they are very compact defensively there's not a lot of space between midfield and defense as some of the half-time analysis showed on saturday and they will try to spring quick counter-attacks on you and when that doesn't work it looks absolutely horrendous as in the brighton game where the ball didn't stick with anyone there were no mm. meaningful attacks it, it can look really 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 bad when it doesn't come off when it does as against man united and to a slightly lesser extent but still to an extent against fulham um that they look like a you know, a credible, good attacking threat, Palace. So, no, I, I, I think it's a little bit harsh. I think you're talking about top-level Premier League football teams where even the teams that go down have good footballers. You know, even yeah. Fulham, who look fairly certain to go down based on what we've seen so far, have some exceptional players in their squads that we, Palace would probably still be happy having. So you're not talking about Palace playing against Mansfield reserves or something like that. So any, any team that you come up against are going to create Chances and you're not going to beat every team five nil without them having any form of opportunities whatsoever. So I I, I think it's a little bit harsh, I'm honest. Also, I thought it was really interesting
2: Scott Parker's frustration at the end, talking about them hitting the post twice. He's talking about the Kearney goal because he said that's what he told his players to do. He said that's what, to how score you score world class beat... goals. What, from what, on in the top corner? Yeah, that's, that, that's what he said. He said I, I I told him to shoot as often as possible. He said because against his Palace team you're playing against, he used the word wall. And he used the word block. He said, "If you, if they, uh, if you've got the ball for longer than three seconds, you can't get behind them. They will get. They will get in front of you. You can't get behind them." He said, "The way to beat this team is to, is to shoot from outside the box as often as possible." And he was quite furious that they hadn't done that more often. That's again, you you mentioned you know press conferences and post match interviews not being for fans. You kind of hope that Roy would have been paying attention to that because they could have scored. I mean. Kieran's right. They could have scored those goals, and it might have made it a different game. But it's also quite encouraging to hear Scott Parker say this is a very, very difficult team to play against, a very difficult team to score against, and that's one way to do it. You know, and, and luckily we've got a good enough goalkeeper. And Fulham's posts, obviously, a bit wider than most, and it, it didn't quite work. But I thought that was interesting that he's that's how he told his team they could they can beat Palace and, and mm. almost admitting that he didn't have the players to do it to do it otherwise. But Street is quite right. I mean, they, even if Fulham go down. Yeah, they've still got Ruben Loftus cheek, they've still got Lookman, they've still got a couple other players who will be in the Premier League next season. So they're not, you know, Norwich last season were essentially a championship team. They decided to stay a championship team for the season and take the parachute money and go down. Fulham haven't done that. Fulham have brought players in and mm. they're, they're a useful side and they played really well against Sheffield United as well. They should have beaten Sheffield United the week before and mm. they would have come into that game. With a lot of a lot of confidence because how many times in the past yeah you know, I've said to mates who are Fulham fans look, if you haven't won by the time you play Palace good luck fill your boots because you probably will so <laughs> you know I thought I thought we we probably deserve more credit for that than some yeah there there are always going to be Palace fans who are not fans of Roy who will look for excuses but we could have won the Everton game if you if you want to look for excuses we could still have won the Brighton game if if yeah the, the pass yeah, Gyro played that pass a second earlier so. Yeah, you could argue we could have had more points rather than less.
1: Well, I mean that that um, (laughs) fewer. Thank you. (laughs) Um, That um, it's interesting when you hear opposition managers talk about Palace because. If you did an average of the phrases they use and things they say, they, they, they nearly always come back to how difficult Palace are to break down and play against. So, you know, you can learn a lot, actually, or, or about your own team from the way other people talk about you. And mm. you're, you're right, Scott Parker said the same thing, and managers say it a lot. Just going back to that points tally, Jesse, it is 10 points now from six, which obviously, as Karen says, puts us in fifth. Um, and actually, going back through the games, I don't think it's an unfair tally for us to have we could have beaten Ever- you know, Everton I got something from that game very unlucky Brighton game on another day could have got something from it yes Chelsea obviously we were, we were turned over the Man United game you know you'd be happy with a draw got a win Southampton fair enough Fulham you'd look for a win I don't think 10 from 6 at this point is unfair and if you level that out across the season 62 points yeah. or something like 59, 62 points yeah. which obviously is a uh, you know a decent top 10 finish I think Jesse we're, we're about where we should be at the moment aren't we
4: yeah, I think there's not a lot to complain about. Seriously, it's I, I was list, I've been listening to a few pods because um, you always get the flurry of podcasts on Sunday and Monday after the games, and uh, Savage and Sutton were asking a Palace fan if Palace yeah. were br- were brilliantly boring. Yeah, and uh, I thought that was quite an interesting. Interesting kind of statement because it kind of does resonate with you know with the sort of gripes and the, the sort of summation of where Palace are at. Um, yeah, ten points on the board is it's great. You know, we were fifth. I think we've gone down to eighth now because Spurs have, yes. Spurs have won and and whatnot. Oh yeah, but yeah, I mean, we've got three and a half wins before. Uh, you know, the season's really got going. You just need to win three more before Christmas and we're on track mm. to stay up. So, I don't think there's any reason to get too kind of upset about that. It's it's what more do you expect? I mean, we're the highest team in in London before Spurs win yesterday. Um, You know, we're above Man United, above Arsenal, above Man United. And we've spent not a lot of money, Mm. so there's not a lot to really um, gripe about. And uh, similarly, on other pod, Dom Feinfeld was on one of the football writers' pod, I think. And um, yeah, he was saying the same thing. just calm down. You know, it's not like (laughs) we're we've got one point from six games, like Burnley, Sheffield, and Fulham. Mm. You know, this could be so much worse. And we should know better than to really get too upset about where we're at in the table. I think. Well, that, three,
1: three years ago, yeah. at this point, we had no points.
4: Yeah. And um, it's. it's it and just, still stayed up. Yeah. So it's quite baffling that anyone can be too upset where we're at. And it's, it's, we just set ourselves up nicely within the first two games. Um, it's encouraging things happening. Look at the sort of goals Wilf is scoring, right? Mm. That, when have you ever yeah. seen him throw himself at a ball? Daisy cutter across the box, mm, yeah. and hitting his knee on the post. He wouldn't normally want to get his socks dirty. Right? <laughs> yeah, in years gone by, you'd never see him do that. Mm. Um, and Andros tucking in at Old Trafford, Old Trafford and finishing off Wilf, Wilf's cross. Uh, the one that Wilf scored against Southampton, where he just kept it low. Yeah, like, we've just been yeah. far far more disciplined. It's almost like they've given uh, Schlupp uh, they've given Andros and Zaha shut DVDs to watch over the summer and just said, just make it count, just make it make your yeah. chances count. And you know, so there's there's things happening that weren't previously happening. Like, how many times did you see balls skim across the six yard box and Benteke and AU nowhere near it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for about yeah, three sure. years, yeah. And that, yeah. now you're seeing Andros and Zaha get on the end of things. So, yeah, come on, there's a lot more we could. We could be worried about, especially you know, if we're not in Fulham's situation, are we?
2: Coming back to your point, JD, about um, Scott Parker preparing for the Palace game, I don't think the one thing they wouldn't have prepared for all week was the fact that we would suddenly, out of nowhere, release one of our midfield players to get into the box. Because I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why he scored that goal, because they simply wouldn't have uh, prepared for that to happen. That we would, you know, that the, Luca nearly always stayed and Gyro quite often went, which is. Yeah, it's what other teams do and it was refreshing to see and I I hope that's something that we, we see more more of.
1: Yeah, uh I agreed. I think it will come down to Andy, the opposition. You know, I think there'll be certain games where Roy won't want his midfielders breaking as much, and there'll be certain games and it seems like Fulham where he will. So I think it'll depend on on the opposition. But it is it is nice to see that we have got midfielders breaking. We have got Wilf in the six yard doing, doing tap-ins. This team feels like it is maturing a little bit. Is that is that a fair assessment?
3: Yeah, I'd so say so. I mean, there's um, there's a really good article, which I think a couple of you may have read already, by Miguel Delaney in the Independent about how important transitions are now in football in terms of being in your shape very quickly when you lose the ball and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And Fulham are the sort of team where, one, you kind of know... If they lose the ball, that you might have an opportunity because they're not so well drilled as, as to be back in a unit very, very quickly. And two, you probably know that if you lose the ball against them, that they're not all of a sudden going to spring a very clever counter attack against you in a lightning-quick manner. So you can probably afford to take a few more risks against them, whereas there are other teams who will just play through you very, very quickly if you aren't organised when you lose the ball and if you take ridiculous risks when you have the ball high up. Obviously, that doesn't get the pulses racing. Um, <laughs> but that's, you know, why Palace are never going to be at risk of going down under Roy Hodgson, I guess. And there are, one of the things I, I always say in these sort of situations is there are there are always trade-offs. You know, the trade-off there is that you're never going to go down versus the fact that it, it doesn't always involve the greatest number of risks in those transitions in games for Palace. Mm. Um, but, you know, the trade-off for other teams may be that they play more possession-based or more uh, aesthetically pleasing football like Brighton do to a certain extent, I suppose, but have lower points return. Um, Yes, I I, I think it's very easy over the number of games that we've had so far to say, well, we're we're maturing as a team. There's not been that many matches so far, so I think it's only once you've played 12, 18, 24 matches that you can see what's starting to be established in terms of the patterns of play, the mix of players in the different areas of the pitch, um, the ability to carve out chances. It, it's great where we are so far, but we've not played Liverpool home or away. We've not played Manchester City home or away. We've not played Tottenham home or away. Uh, once we're starting to play some of those really good teams, home and away, obviously this, the the table starts shaping up a slightly different way and fans' frustration may grow a little bit when that similar uh, risk aversion, I suppose, rears its head again. Um, Look, I, I think we're not going to be down near the bottom. It's a good points return so far. And I, I wouldn't, ex- I, I wouldn't be, expect much more than for us to continue grinding out results, getting you know more wins, more draws against the inferior teams in the division as, as the weeks wear on. JD, have you ever noticed that when you ask Streety a question,
2: you tend to get really nervous by the end of it? <laughs> you, Do I? <laughs> yeah, you, you, ask, you ask a question then you realise that you can't predict with any certainty what sort of response you're going to get.
1: It's more because I'm worried he's going to bill me for his response. <laughs> <off the podcast. laughs>
3: but um, That's because I did no, a politician yeah. think of not answering his question directly because it would be one <laughs> sentence and instead deciding to freeform <laughs> yeah. jazz. It's <laughs> nice, though. I'd I do, do an avant-garde it. abstract of, of a few <laughs> opinions, like a brush here, a brush there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you and avant-garde not two <laughs> words I'd ever associate but um, it was a good answer and thank you very much for not doing the lawyer one word answer because that is incredibly annoying yes um, let's move on to a question <laughs> from Hadley C. Smith hi Hadley, uh, Hadley. Uh, Kevin I come to you for this one this is quite a straightforward <coughs> one who starts when both fit Klein or Ward
2: I i, I suspect Klein actually um, I, Ward he wasn't even in the, on the bench was he on Saturday I
1: think he was injured I think uh, he was injured
2: was, well the, the trouble is in the current time sure. every time that happens you know there's speculation that we where yeah. that fought for the Brighton goal or he's in isolation so you you don't I I think Klein and I, I was really impressed with with Klein on Saturday like I say I thought he gave us a, a balance he it's good to see both fullbacks getting forward and and joining in I think defensively he's, he's as good as Wardy he just gives us a little bit more going forward I think I think the more interesting question is probably what happens when PVA's fully fit because Mitchell hasn't yeah. done anything to deserve being dropped. But I, I suspect PVA will will be in the team. And then <laughs> that, yeah, all that pre-season optimism saying, well, we're going to have Ferguson on one side and Mitchell on the other, <laughs> when suddenly we'll have two 29-year-olds uh, playing at fullback. back But I, that wouldn't bother me, to be perfectly honest. I think at any mix of those four... I, I think Joe Ward's always known that when we get better players in... He's going to go. He's going to go. He's back to the bench. He's had a really good run in the in the team, and I think he knows himself that he's a squad player rather than a, a first team player. He's not let anybody. That's a terrible cliche. I know. He's not let anybody down. He's okay. great. He's great to have on the bench if necessary. But I, I, I personally would start with 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 Klein. But as I say, I think it's more of an argument about you know holding PVA back for a while. To be honest. But,
1: well, it comes back to what you were saying earlier about squad. You know, we now yeah. have four options at fullback. Yeah. We, we now have four or five options in central midfield. We have options at centre back. Yeah. We're getting options up front. Benteke scored a banger for the under 23s this yeah. week. So, you know, we are getting more options in the squad. And that we that's the, the main thing we've been asking for for a long time. And it feels yeah. like it is coming to fruition. Right, to, to
2: be fair, Jay, if a fully grown Belgian international can't score a banger in the under 23s, then there really is. Well, no, uh, if there was really, one
1: that couldn't, it would be Benteke. But yeah, but there,
2: <laughs> there really is a problem, basically. Yeah, If he indeed. couldn't
1: score a goal in that.
2: I like the um, fact the commentator got so carried away as well. It's like, come along now, mate. He's, he's, he's,
1: <laughs> it was a him. nice finish. Let's it just give great, Christian that. That was a great that. goal. That's brilliant. Yeah, fair play to him. He hasn't had a lot to celebrate, yeah. so we'll, we'll give him that. Um, here's a question for Jesse from Young Narcoleptic.
4: Oh, well, yeah. Honest? It's not the question I'm hoping. It's not sort of question on that theme.
1: (laughs) No. I want, yeah. Well, let's see. It's actually, it's a very uh, cutting question, actually. And I'm just going to read it to you now. It's only five words. Will Eze flop like mayor? Oh. (laughs) And I think it's a bit of an unfair question, but um, I guess it's a question around Eze's future, I guess,
4: and and involvement in the team. Interesting phraseology there. Um, (laughs) Young narcoleptic. So um, <laughs> I think Roy's not going to throw Eze in. He, I, I think he's already played Eze more than I thought he would. I think oh, okay. It, it, well, you know, it just it's taken a while to see some other players that have come in. Um, mm. We didn't even see Camarasa. Um, <laughs> no. I, I know he was a lone. I know he a lone player and everything. But we, okay, so we've spent a lot of money on him. So yeah, you know that that he was clearly someone that Roy liked and approved of bringing in. But he's so young, and he's never played at this level. And you can see, yeah. ev- everyone knows, you can you can kind of see that. It's not The urgency isn't quite there with him yet. Um, I, I can't... I, I think it's the other way around with Meyer. It didn't feel like that had Roy's approval. I doubt, doubt Roy had ever seen him play. Um, and he was thrust upon him, and it was... He was a free agent, therefore there was no fee, and therefore it looked good on paper. As Kev Kev probably told him, he was the German Messi. <laughs> and uh, and that's how we ended up with Maya. So the, the the circumstances are quite different. Well, the, the the thing as well, Jesse, with Eze is that
2: people see Villa playing Watkins right from the start and scoring goals against Liverpool and going, why aren't we doing the same thing? But I think we all know Roy. <laughs> it's not that Roy has a problem with skillful players, but Roy wants players to have a look at the division. You know, it's it's, it's a big step up, and he was a massive. Fish in a smaller pond at QPR. And, and QPR played a lot of their football around him. And that was never going to happen with us. And I think Roy will have, will have had him on the bench saying, look at the way Jeffrey Schlock mm-hmm. plays. I want mm-hmm. you to do some of that. Look at the way Wolf plays. I want you to do some of that. Look at the way Townsend plays. I want you to do some of that. And he's, he's not brought him on in situations and asked him to change the game. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with Jesse. I I didn't think for, for one moment he would put him st- straight in. I still hope that Roy... Plays him as a more attacking, potent force, but uh, he's. It comes back to that squad question. He's a really, really good player, and we've got him up our sleeve in situations where Mm -hmm. I I did wonder whether he might have tried to start him against Fulham, because you think, well, that's essentially the level that Eze's been playing against for two seasons, and if ever he's going to shine. But then, what would be the point of him coming on against Fulham, playing really, really well, and then we all expect him to do the same against Wolves, against Man City, and then he can't do it. So, I think he's being managed very savourily at, at the moment, to be perfectly honest.
1: I think, Andy, we will... I'm fairly confident we will see way more of Eze than we've seen of Mayer yeah. over the last two years. I think the club see him differently. I think Roy sees him differently. And I think, as Kevin says, he's being managed at the moment. He's a young lad with no experience of this top flight. I mean, incredibly talented. You can see that from the cameos he's done already, the way he uses the ball. Very, very talented. Um, and I think it will be a gradual introduction into the team and he will be asked to play slightly different roles. Mm. As Kevin says, like like Schluppy. Look at the way Schluppy has developed. Look at the way Wilf has developed his defensive side as well. He'll be asked to be doing that. But I think actually there is a long-term plan for him at this club and I think we'll see more of him. So I, I think I think there's there's a bigger plan for Eze, isn't there? Mm.
3: Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's already played in five out of six games. He's played. <clears throat> I just checked while you, the others were talking. He's played 204 minutes out of 540 oh, plus, wow. plus injury time. So that's even being generous for stoppage time. You'd probably be talking about a third of the minutes that we've played so far, maybe a little bit more. Um, so it's not like, you know, you're not talking about a couple of five minutes here and there on a token basis. He he looks fantastic, but raw. Um and there are, you know, certain aspects that he's going to have to learn on the job because breaking down Premier League defences is a completely different kettle of fish to breaking down championship defences. Mm. Um, and he's not akin to a Watkins. Watkins is very much, you know, an out-and-out nine. Eze is going to, you know, probably play floating roles and sometimes play as a ten, sometimes an outside left, sometimes an outside right. Sometimes, I guess, as an auxiliary striker. But it's not like where you're just going to plonk him in the middle like Watkins will be for Villa to a certain extent. And similarly, you know, Villa having the centre of their midfields, two of the best midfielders in the league, Barkley and Grealish, for me, are absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. So it's a lot easier when you've got that sort of platform to say, well, we've got this young, raw striker, let's put him ahead of those two class central midfielders and see how he does. Um, our midfielders, obviously, as we all know, are a lot more work like than, than Ross Barkley and, um, and Jack Grealish. Uh, unfortunately I suppose we probably would love to see them playing in our midfield <laughs> But I, yeah I, I think we're talking about a very different situation From some of the, the previous signings That mm. I don't think perhaps Roy Hodgson ever thought were quite up to task I, I don't think that's consistent With anything that he said of Eze um, How Eze's equipped mm. himself so far Or the fact that Eze's continuing to get back on the pitch If Roy had thought that Eze was letting him down he wouldn't keep on bringing him on Or, or you know having him feature in matches
1: absolutely right Um, okay well look let's move on to part three thank you all for your questions Uh, some good ones in there Uh, and part three is a preview of a Friday night game it's going to creep up very quickly on us Uh, it's against Wolves so join us in a bit part three of the five-year plan podcast Uh, sponsored this week by eternity home finance for a free consultation on anything to mortgages and property portfolios email info at eternityhomefinance.com and quote the code f y p kevin it's a friday night game for palace this week Mm. uh, away at wolves Um, we've had a question from richard bushel hi richard one of our patrons and Richard said, presumably going forward Kevin gets to preview the opposition each week with an extract from his book.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well I get to preview their history each week with an extract but
1: I'm yeah, not,
2: I'm not sure whether several paragraphs on me and Steve Ball not being able to understand each other uh, <laughs> are actually good preparation for this game on Friday night. I was, I was really disappointed watching the Wolves-Newcastle game on, on Sunday as a neutral. It was a poor game, but I was actually quite encouraged by the way Wolves struggled to break down a makeshift Newcastle team and it really was a makeshift Newcastle team who were playing free at the back for the first time and playing people out of position all over the place. Wolves are a cracking team, they're one of the great stories in the Premier League, but they occasionally, and I know these could be famous last words, they occasionally flatter to deceive, there's a lot of a lot of decent football but and then not much in the way of of goal mouth attempts or actual shots on target and they've you know they've lost probably their best striker to Liverpool um, and again I, I can't imagine that we're going to play in a di- in a different way but I I think Wolves are a team that will let you get forward on I mean as Wolves like to push their wing backs forward they they do leave space down the side of the the the, the centre backs and, and I think that's something we can we can look to exploit they're not they're a big team, but they're not particularly physical, which sometimes we struggle against, especially up front. So, I think I think it's somewhere we should be looking to say, yeah, we can we can get a point. Let's not let's not do a Chelsea. I know they're above us in the table, but let's not let's not retreat back into our shell and say we can't possibly get anything from this game. Let's mm. let's try and win it and, and put them on the on the back foot. I mean, their keeper will be having a slight confidence crisis, I imagine, after this terrible howl of the Newcastle's equalizer.
1: Hmm.
2: Um that's a proper seventies word, isn't it? It's a terrible howler. <laughs> uh, but I I yeah, i I think they are a team that let you play football and we're a team that can play football. And I, I think like say down the down the right hand side I think we can we can get at them. And I just I hope that we go into it with a bit of confidence in that away. And again you know, away games seem to be a little bit easier without the without the crowd there. There's, there's that less of an intimidating factor. Mm. You know, on a on a Friday night, we probably wouldn't have had that. Well, we'd have, of course, we'd have had a lot of fans up there, but it wouldn't have been quite the same as a as a as a Saturday. So yeah, I think we can go up there and and play football and get something there. It's so nice to hear you say Palace can play football. Well, we can. I mean, that, it, it takes a bit to get. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's so. After the Brighton game, I, I couldn't see us playing football again, and mm. that's why I do think coming right back to the start of the pod, I think Gyro saying out loud, "We forgot to play football," I think is something that they would have been saying to Roy Hodgson. saying, look, we're better than this. Yeah, right. we can. We can. We can play football, and we've got. We've got young know, Mitchell's. It's brilliant to see Mitchell getting forward and playing. Like we forget, like the the pass Mitchell played to Wilf before Wilf played the, the reverse ball was. Was really really good. You know, we've got confident young players. Let them let them play football, Roy. That's that's all we're asking. Because I think you're more likely to get something out of the game than doing what we did against Brighton. Basically, if we and if we score the first goal in a game, we're really really hard to break down.
1: So I'm either going to call this week's pod brilliantly boring, or we remembered to play football. Which uh, one? No,
2: I think brilliantly boring because that's Andy mentioned that. I, I listened to that when it was going out live on six oh six and. Obviously, Robbie Savage, not quite as articulate as, as Chris Sutton, or indeed as that microphone you're holding. But um, it was <laughs> I it I was, was really... Because Chris Sutton did mean it as a compliment. Chris Sutton, he started it as a discussion about what's more important for Palace, playing good football and going down and entertaining, or staying in a division. And he, he meant it as a compliment. And he talked about the fact, the respect that Palace have in the game from other people for what they do. But all he said was that you can occasionally... If you've got that brilliant defensive platform, then just occasionally use it as a platform. Just occasionally say, "Look, you, we're, we're really hard to break down. So you front three, you go on." It's how, that's what Liverpool did two seasons ago. They just basically got that brilliant front three in and said, "Right, you 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 play, you score the goals, and we'll, we'll just the, the other eight of us will just stand here and <laughs> stop them if they come away." And that's, and I think we've got the players to be able to
1: to do that so obviously jesse we did go to wolves during the lockdown project restart and probably put in our one oh, of our worst we're gonna lose on friday aren't we? <laughs> i mean <laughs> out of out of a run of seven games that were very you know pretty bad it was one of our worst performances up there not as bad as leicester i mean it was it was up, it was up there with yeah, leicester yeah. wasn't it it yeah, was bad true. um so obviously anything better than that jesse would be a bonus um It does feel at the moment it's a good time to play Wolves. As Kevin says, they're off the boil slightly. I mean, they were much better in Project Restart than they are now. Jimenez hasn't actually had a shot in the box in the last two games, although actually weirdly has scored two goals, both from outside the box. One a very lucky deflection at Wolves. The other one against Newcastle could have been better goalkeeping. But he's certainly not having the attacking returns inside the box that he is used to. Um do you think actually this is a good time to play Wolves and, and and maybe get something from them? And again, I'm just going back to that previous game in lock, in lockdown, anything better than that is a bonus.
4: I think maybe I'm a little more concerned than you guys. Um, but I have a bit of a soft spot for Wolves. I think I think the manager's great. I think Jimenez is absolute class. I'm amazed he didn't attract some kind of tasty offers. And maybe he did over the summer, but it felt like he should have been a bit of a buzz striker that United should have been trying to sign, for example. Yeah. He's just, you know, he scored I think he scored one in two last year. And they had such an amazing season. They got so far in the Europa League with that ridiculous fixture list mm. and yet yeah. still were contesting Europe right to the end as well in the league. I think they you know, when when have you seen a team, you know, Burnley for example, a team that's not really equipped to play Europe and domestic. Um, and find themselves with that fixture uh, responsibility really struggle in one or well, at least one of those two competitions. They didn't. They, they were firing all cylinders right to the end. So I was thinking, without European commitments this year, you might see them even stronger in the league. But they had a bit of a funny start, didn't they? They got pumped by West Ham 4 0. Mm-hmm. But then their last three games, they've only conceded one, which was Newcastle. So. And I think that the Leeds game we should talk about because I think they they uh, were set up, yes. they set up, they were ready for Leeds. I mm. think that's where Leeds got their first taste of um next you know a higher level mm. um team that they couldn't really break down, and wolves would just play them at their own game with the intensity and snatch that win So it's, I'm probably more concerned just because I think wolves are ready for a good, strong domestic season without Europe. Um, but yeah you I didn't, hadn't picked up on him and as not not being a fox in the box as we've been seen from him last year so i don't know i'm, I'm probably i would take a point long story short
1: <laughs> um <laughs> i would as well andy i'll take um, a
2: point from every game we play Except Brighton at home
1: obviously <laughs> <laughs> um Kevin talked about Newcastle, they're sort of thwarting Wolves at like the weekend, and they did. And I think Newcastle and Palace, there's quite a lot of parallels actually in, in sort of the way they play football and set up. So can Palace take uh, confidence from the way that Newcastle um, stopped Wolves playing at the weekend in terms of sort of similar set ups?
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it.
1: <laughs>
3: unbelievable. Um, you. Unbelievable. Know, one of the things I was sort of thinking is in, in some ways, Wolves are a bit of a supercharged Palace. Um, they, you know, they they they're not going to be the neutrals. Generally, the neutrals' first choice to watch, and they don't take ridiculous risks when they do have the ball. And they they always, you know, that they they don't tend to concede ridiculous goals. I mean, they they do still have seven points from the last nine. They're still on exactly the same points as us. Mm. They've got the recent record, obviously, of having been fantastic last season. And unlike us, they've got a player in Raul Jimenez who just can be absolutely lethal when given an opportunity. And I, I don't think we've got a single out-and-out out striker of that level of um, no. prolific uh, ability in front of goal that they've got in him. I, I'm always happy if we get a point against Wolves, to be perfectly honest with you. I, think they're, I, I, I don't know why fans don't always... I'm not saying the fans don't ever give them the credit that they deserve, but certainly you quite often end up with fans being a little bit cross when we don't get three points against Wolves, imagining them still to be the sort of team mm-hmm. that have uh, you know, Neil Emblem playing for them as opposed to <laughs> the, the Portuguese superstars <laughs> that they're now adorned with and they're, they're a fantastic team um, they are set up you know, not massively dissimilar to us but they, do, they do like the three four three, 4 but in terms of just general approach to the game that you, you quite often sort of see a similar pattern of play to us so yeah, I'd, I'd be more than happy with the point in that game J.D., you talk about
2: parallels between us and Newcastle. We had, on the Price of Football pod, we had the chair of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust to talk about uh, economic issues and about pay-per-view and various uh, charity things that they're doing up there. But he just spent the last 10 minutes, he just wanted to talk about Steve Bruce. And they, there are still Palace fans that don't rate Roy Hodgson, but the way he was talking about the Newcastle fans' reaction to Steve Bruce, they absolutely Mm. hate him they can't abide the level of football they play and what we got into an interesting discussion because he said yeah we really we let Rafa Benitez go for God's sake we had the best manager said it was the worst football that anybody yeah. had ever seen the Rafa Benitez Newcastle team was awful to watch he went yeah yeah but it was effective i said but you've got the same points <laughs> yeah. more points. you but they you know football fans just get these ideas in their head and, and he he just says Steve Bruce can't come back you know he's just always one bad result away from from getting a sack because once Newcastle fans don't like you that's it you know they're, they're at the stage when Palace fans are never like that Palace fans are never at the stage when they're praying that we lose so the manager might get sacked
1: No I think that's a bit harsh on Steve yeah. Bruce personally he's done a very good job there but um, never mind Well, look, we'll see what uh, the weekend holds and hopefully the result won't be invidious to oh. Palace And does that work I think it I don't know It doesn't No okay. um, Anyway I tried I tried Okay um, that's, that's
2: all we, As we always say to three year olds As long as you tried <laughs> That's great. I'm
1: just trying to make this pod slightly more highbrow yeah. one word at a time and I failed <laughs> um, anyway lads thank you very much for uh, joining us and uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, main pod the patrons will get a post-match pod on Friday night late night pod um, of course at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast in the meantime enjoy the rest of your week and we'll see you again soon Goodbye. bye
0: bye